Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. Hey, on behalf of my wife and our staff, all the volunteers and leaders that came in and set up for you today, we're so happy that you're here, especially if you are here for the very first time, you're a guest with us. We're so excited that you made it out. Hey, will you do me a favor? Help me welcome all of our first-time guests, church. Come on, just let's make them feel warm and welcome and celebrate them. So happy that you're here. And uh, man, if you are a father today, we celebrate you as well. Man, we're so happy that you're here on Father's Day. Come on, let's give it up for all the dads in here. Make some noise. Come on. Yeah, dads. Strong strength, man. So, so happy that you're here, man. We are uh, just excited. We're continuing a series called Best Summer Ever, Part 3, how to live, uh, really just live your life to the fullest, live the best life right now. And so um, I'm excited because I get to talk to everybody, and we're going to celebrate dads um, after service today, and it's going to be incredible. Hey, if you're on Facebook right now, will you do me a favor? Just go ahead and check in. Let them know you're here because you're going to be here, and then we're going to go have a good time doing celebrating fathers, obviously, but you're at church, and that's what we want to do. So just go ahead and check in. Let them know that you're here, and uh, we're going to have a great time today. We hope you are excited. wanted to give one quick uh, announcement uh, for next week. Everybody say next week. Uh, come on, like you mean it. Say next week. Next week, do not miss. Next week is going to be a special weekend, not just for baptism, but we're going to make uh, some uh, special announcements just on behalf of our church, what our future is going to be happening. It's kind of a secret. I want to reveal the secret to you next week. It's all good. It's going to be great. Our church has been really exploding, and there's so many good things coming in the future, but I want to give you some strategic steps of what uh, you know our board, my pastor, and, and just kind of our staff and church leaders here, we've decided to do for the future. So we want to make sure you know what's going on, so make sure you're here next week. Everybody say, I will be here. Yeah, you want to be here because it's going to be awesome. And so make sure you're here next week. We're going to reveal it. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. And we'll just welcome God into this place. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that, man, we're here. We're in church. We're on Father's Day. And we get to celebrate all the dads. And God, I just thank you for you being a great spiritual father in our life. God, thank you that you're here with us. And Holy Spirit, just speak to the men today. Speak to the ladies today. Speak to the families today. God, do what you can do uh, to, the, to the words that I prepared on paper so that we can walk out of here different, changed excited, better, elevated in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, again, so glad that everybody's here. I, I have never probably been misunderstood um, uh, as, as the most manly guy in the world. You know, I've never had somebody come up to me and go, dude, you are like so manly. And, uh, and I don't know why, because, you know, I, 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 well, I do know why. Can I just be honest? I do know why. Because oftentimes I don't really, I wouldn't necessarily mean I like, like the, 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 maybe the quintessential or stereotypical manly things. You know, I'm not really a guy who likes to work on cars or, or, you know, maybe go out and work in the yard or, you know, go, you know, do something kind of grimy. I like to be clean. I'm really like a clean dude. I take like three or four showers a week, a day, a week, a day. And uh, I'll probably take more than that. Anyway, so I take them a day. And I love to be clean. I like to shop, y'all. Like my, in our family, my wife, she kind of, she's not the shopper. I'm the shopper. I could go to the mall and be there all day and think it would be, if somebody asked me the other day, because you know, my birthday was yesterday, like, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, I'd like to go to the mall and just be there all day like without my kids and just have fun. I would go to every store three or four times, try on everything. I love it. That's like my favorite thing. So I've never been like misunderstood as like the most manliest guy. However, I want you all to know, as your pastor, this year I did one of the most manly things I could. I went hunting. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been hunting before, but it's, it's a powerful experience. It's, uh, it's, you know, you're in nature. You know, you're in the dirt. There's guns involved. You know, it's just like just animals 
There's just, it's just, there's meat everywhere. You know, you just eat and stuff. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Has anybody been hunting in their life? Raise your hand if you've been hunting. Come on, like, come on, hunters. There we go. All right, it's Texas, you know, it was, it was shoot stuff. And so it was just awesome. And so I wanted to prove to you that I went hunting. So I brought pictures because I felt like if I tell you that I didn't go, I went hunting, y'all would never admit it, would believe me. And so I went hunting and this is what I looked like when I was out in the field. I went quail hunting and uh, man, this is just powerful. I mean, you see the gun. I mean, I got like this gun in my hand. It's like a shotgun. And I got like, you know, this terrible looking orange, you know, I'm like, is there any more fashionable? Like where's H&M making their fashion line? So like, or whatever. And so the Nordstrom or something, but it was freezing. So I had a, you know, a scarf, and I had my, 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 my beanie, and, you know, of course, my Ray-Ban, you know, designer sunglasses. I had to have those. I don't know anybody would, you know, of course, and so I'm out there, and uh, I had another picture. This is kind of some buddies of mine, pastor friends of mine, and of course, you could see, I mean, I mean, I really made sure my hair was looking good for that, and uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was a powerful experience, so I was a man that day, quote-unquote, and uh, what was interesting, though, about that hunting trip is I met, uh, I actually re-engaged with a guy, I met a guy earlier in the year at a conference, and then I met him again at this, he was at this hunting uh, prayer uh, kind of thing we were at, and um, what I loved about the hunting trip is that you just went out there, the dogs got the birds up in the air, you shot the dogs, you hand the guns to the guides, you go inside the cabin, and you eat for 24 hours. It's awesome, and so that's like my style of hunting, and so we're over there, and we're talking at a table, and I was telling this pastor kind of our story of our church, what we've been through just to plant here, because if I told you guys the whole story of how we actually planted this church, you would think there's no way this church should be here right now. It's really a move of God. It's like a hand of mirror. It's like a miracle that we're here, and um, I was telling him the story, and he was like, man, can I just tell you something? Like, I want to share something with you. And, uh, and, and he goes, he goes, I kind of have a, you know, he goes, I have a, of a, of a you know, bit of a gift of the prophetic. And anytime somebody tells you that, you know, like you're, he's a prophet or she's a prophet, I'm like, oh, I always kind of get like, now I believe prophetic is, is biblical and the prophecy is biblical. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's a, it's an absolute move of God. And I think God moves through people on that specific spiritual gift. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the bad thing about it is that churches sometimes have used it, misused it, abused it, and, and people have, have done it wrong and given it a bad name. And so, you know, when he said that, he's like, you know, I want to, you know, here, you know, I want to give you just kind of a word if I can. And I just feel God move. In and he's like, he's like, I'm a prophet. I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's like this church, people come into our church and they're like, they have to announce that they're a prophet. I'm like, well, sorry, we're a nonprofit organization. You know, it's like, sorry, we don't do that. And so, uh, but, but anyway, uh, so I'm standing with him and, and, and I'm like, okay, you know, what are you going to say? And he starts speaking these things over my life. And he gave me three specific words, but the, the word that he gave at the end was a, a question I've been asking God. And I hadn't shared that with anybody but my wife. And I had been really struggling with, with just some of the things that have happened in my life and just asking God, God, what are you saying? You know, and, and one of the questions I asked him, and maybe you're like me, and maybe you asked God this question before. It's like, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you let me feel this? Anybody ever ask a question that God, God that question? Like, God, why would you, why would you, why would you let this happen in my life? It didn't feel good. It, it didn't make me feel right. I didn't under, I don't fully understand. And and I never got an answer from him. And then I, I talked to this guy and he said, he said, Aaron, you've been asking this question to God and he wants to answer your question right now. And I was like, oh my, that's crazy. Like, you know, because no one else knew that I've been asking God this question. And he said, here's the question. He recites the question word for word back from me. And he said, this is what God wants you to know. I want you to feel what they, what, what, what you're feeling right now, because that's what people are going to feel coming into your church. And when they walk into your church, I don't, you're not an event center, you're home. When you, when you create it, when you, when you plan a church, you're not an event center, you're home. And I thought that was unique on how he said that because you know what's interesting is all the pastors and churches I come from, I don't come from that. 
I actually come from churches who are very, very, very event-driven. You know, we do things, and it's thing after thing after thing, and it, it never really feels like a home. It feels like an organization. It feels like an event center. But he said, that's not what you're called to build at this church at Rise. The, the vision, this is God speaking. The vision God has for this church is for it to be a home. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with my wife back before we planted. And the conversation went like this. We were asking God, God, what kind of a church do you feel like you want to have inside of San Antonio? When we plant down here, we moved here, didn't know anybody. And we we're coming down here. God's doing things. He's, he's, you know, we're, trying to, we're trying to figure out, God, what kind of church are you going to have us have? And we heard God speak to us and say these words. He says, I want you to be a home for the lonely. Like, I want you to be a home for the lonely. Now, how many of you ever had a feeling of loneliness in your life? Anybody ever felt lonely before? You know, when you move to a place like San Antonio, it's a huge city, so it's easy for you to feel alone. I know it feels big, and there's a lot of people, but the problem is, is that there could be a lot of easy, the bigger the city and the more people, the more alone you can almost feel. And we felt like when we first moved here, our job and the vision of this church was to be a home to the lonely. That was really literally kind of the word uh, of God that we got from. And Psalms chapter 68 actually says it like this. This has kind of been our verse that we got one of our values from. And it says, God sets the lonely in families. Everybody say families. This is important. God sets the lonely in families. His antidote, God's antidote, the way he heals your loneliness is he puts you in family. God doesn't just go, boom, you're not lonely anymore. Like when you ask God for, like, God, I don't want to be lonely anymore. God doesn't go, okay, well, then don't be lonely. Miraculous. What he does is he sets you in family so that you have connections spiritually so that you're able to connect and find something that we call this, we literally call this spiritual family. In fact, that verse, actually, other translated, sets the lonely in homes. Other translations would call that homes. We're decide we want to be a home for the lonely. When you walk in here and you see that sign that says, welcome home, that's intentional. We don't want to be another organization. We don't want to be another church. We don't want to be another place where you got to go and, you know, it's like you don't need another job. You don't need another obligation. We want to be a family. We don't want to be your friend. Like, people ask, well, we'll be like a friendly place. We have like friends and stuff. No, I'm sorry. I don't want to be your friend because I, my friends don't come to my bedside when I'm in the hospital. You know who comes to your bedside when you're in the hospital? Family. We want to create family. We want to create a place where I'm not the only pastor pastoring this church, where we believe in the priesthood of the believer in the New Testament church, where people can walk in. The veil is now torn. You can walk in and you can be a pastor to your brothers and sisters in Christ, where you walk in and you're at their bedside and you're pastoring people. Why? Because you're in what we call spiritual family. In fact, that's where we got our, our third value. We have five values here. We have Bible, mission, spiritual family, development. We, we really are trying to like grow people in this development idea so that you can get to it. And then generosity. We want to be generous. But, but one of the values is spiritual family. And so I want to describe to you what spiritual, when we use that language, I want you to use this language because if you're in the family, you use this language too. This is what you mean by that. This is how we talk about spiritual. When we say spiritual family, this is what we mean. This is the definition. It's a set of non-disposable relationships. That's important. So you're in a relationship with someone that you can't get rid of, that you choose not to get rid of. That we commit to walking with in covenant. So we need to know this. Every time there's covenant, it's not contract. When we're in covenant with each other, there's blood that was shed. So we're not in covenant with each other because of the blood that you and I shed. We're in covenant because of what Jesus' blood shed. So we're here because of Jesus. We're, we're, we're alive because of Jesus. We're in relationship because of Jesus. So it's covenant. It's not contract. So when you walk into a relationship with a covenant, you're looking and thinking about the other person and not about you. 
So when you're in a family, you think about the other person by the direction of God. So we don't trust our direction. We don't trust our feelings. We trust what God is saying. God led you here. God has you here. What if, the question I always ask is, what if this is God's plan all along? That you didn't just find this on Google. That you didn't just see a sign. That you didn't just, man, get invited by someone. What if this was God's plan that you're sitting in this seat? Through his local church. That this is not just relationships we do just to go hang out. We do it because this is relationships we do through the local church, the hope of the world, the thing that God died for, the thing that we can live for. So when we say spiritual family, this is what we mean. But here's what I've noticed about families in the world. What I've noticed is that every healthy family has a healthy father. Have you noticed that? That every healthy family has a healthy spiritual, mental, father figure who steps in and leads. Dads, you need to know this. You're important. I, I grew up in church and been a part of ministry for a long, long time, almost two decades. And I always dreaded going to church on Father's Day. You know, it's funny because like in Mother's Day, have you ever noticed this? Like when you come in church on Mother's Day, it's like, moms, you're amazing, and you can do amazing things, and you're incredible, and you're awesome, and we need you, and we're going to take pictures with you, and you get a flower, and we celebrate you, and you're amazing, and all those things are true. And then when you come in on Father's Day, the pastor gets up and he goes, y'all are terrible. Stop being terrible. And he finds five ways to tell you how to not be terrible in your life. And I'm like, man, I, and you walk out of here not being built up, but be beaten down. I just made a commitment as a pastor to be a person who builds you up. So if you're a dad in here and you're feeling nervous like he's going to get me, I'm not going to get you. The goal is not to beat you down. The goal is to build you up because God has called you to be an incredible dad, to be a man of God. You'll hear me talk to you. If you come up to me and talk to me, what the word I, you'll hear it every time I talk to you. And I do it for ladies I say, woman of God, I call men, man of God, because I'm going to speak life into you. You're like, oh, you don't even know me. You might not. I don't even know God. Well, guess what? I'm speaking that in your future. One day you're going to be a man of God. And so for us, we want to be spiritual family. I'm not trying to be your friend because families matter. Fathers matter to families. I, I was reading uh, in some statistics the other day. I want to show you how important fathers are to families. I want to read you some statistics from fatherless homes. People who come from fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide. They're eight times more likely to go to prison. They're nine times more likely to drop out of high school. They're 10 times more likely to abuse chemical substances. They're 20 times more likely to have behavioral problems. They're 20 times more likely to become rapists. They're 32 times more likely to, be, to run away. This is Studies done by psychologists and professors and universities is not biblical. 33 times more likely to be seriously abused. Dads, you matter. Dads, you're important. Fathers, you are valuable. Fathers, you have a place. Dads, you can do it. Dads, you can make it. You have it in you. We need you. Your families need you. Your church needs you. The society that we live in needs you. Dads absolutely matter. And so today, 
even Paul in the New Testament who writes two-thirds of it, he has a, an interesting statement that haunts me as a pastor. Because as a dad, you know, if we're a family and I feel like this is what we're trying to create and, and I'm the senior pastor, which means I'm the senior leader, which means I'm the senior servant, which means I just get to, I get to serve on behalf of God at this church. And I'm a spiritual father of this house. And I take it seriously that it's my job to lead as a good father should. Paul was concerned with this. He writes this incredible verse. And I think it, it's, it, it mattered then, but it matters now. And he says, for though you have countless guides, other translations, teachers, mentors, bosses, kings, shepherds, stewards, people, you have plenty of people, podcasts, TED Talks, social media. You have tons of people telling you on Google, articles. Come on. There, you got a lot of people out there trying to teach you something. In Christ, but you do not have many fathers. Paul was concerned with our society. He was concerned with our lives. Not that we didn't have somebody to tell us what to do, but we didn't have fathers to raise us up. That we didn't have good dads in our life. And so what I wanted to do today is I wanted to encourage the dads in here. I wanted to encourage the leaders in here, the fathers in here. I want to encourage you. You can be who God called you to be if you want to be that. And my encouragement to you, I want to give you four characteristics in the time we have today, four characteristics of spiritual fathers that, that, that I think we can be as fathers in this church. This is stuff that I get challenged on a regular basis. I got this from... You know, I, I see these in my spiritual fathers and my mentors and my pastors and the people that I, I, I call a dad in my life and my, rep, my, my, my physical dad. But these are things I think if we can get a hold of this, this is not the exhaustive list. You know, it's like if you do these four things, you'll be a great dad. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that if this could help us take a step in, the, I think, the right direction where God wants us. Amen? The first characteristic of a, I think, of a great spiritual father is that they're faithful. Everybody say Faithful. They're faithful, they're, they're, they're present, and they're available. They're present, and they're available. First Timothy, Paul writes a part of this verse, and he speaks about why God blessed him to do what he was called to do. So God has a calling in Paul's life, you have a calling in Paul's life, and he highlights why he was able to actually get his calling, to get his purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to get my purpose. God called you. God created you. God made you. He's going to get you where he wants to get you, but we got to want to get there, so we got to be postured, right, right, right? So we got to like, so like if I'm you and you're me, we're like trying to figure out how do I get to where God has called me to get to. Paul highlights how he got there. He says this in, in, in 1 Timothy, he says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, okay? So he's enabled me. He's given me this ability to do ministry. This is why. This is why he says because. Anytime it's because means because. Why? So why? He says, because he counted me what? Faithful, not smart, not good looking. He counted me as a great personality. He counted me as rich. He counted me as successful, high on the food chain. He counted me as the corner office guy. No, he said, 
The reason I'm able to even do ministry is because I was counted faithful, which means I was available and I was present. And so some of us as guys, come on, y'all, isn't it easy to like get caught in the rat race and you're like running your life and you're in your job and you're in your career and you're with your family and you can have almost like this idea that like, okay, if I, the way I could, I can actually reach my potential is if I just get that corner office. If I just beat that one guy, if I can just prove my boss wrong, if I can just show him where he's wrong and I can show him where I'm right, if I can just win this race, if I could just do this thing, and it's not, and so sometimes we can get caught up in the ability that gets us to our purpose. It's not your ability that's going to get you to your purpose. It's your availability that's going to get you to your purpose. It's that you are present and you are available. And so the question you have to ask yourself, guys, come on, we have to ask ourselves is, are we present and available? The other day, I was sitting in the car with my wife and, and my kids, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but like sometimes just, I have five boys. I have five, 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 cinco, five, okay? I got a lot of kids, a lot. And um, I need prayer, and I need help. If you would like to watch my kids at any time for free, I, give me your card. So I'm sitting with my family, and I'm on my phone. My wife's talking to me. And I, guys, I don't know if you do this or not, but I do this sometimes. And I'll get zoned out on my phone. You know, they'll talk to me. And, and so it's like she comes. And it's almost like a reflex now. You know what I mean? Have you all noticed that? You can kind of reflex. It's like she's like, hey, babe. I'm like, what's up? <laughs> I don't even have anything to look at my phone. There's nothing on my phone that I need. No one texts me. You know, there's no email to check right now, but it's just a reflex. I pulled it out. I'm talking. And she's talking to me. And she goes, you're not even paying attention to what I said. I said, babe, I am. I'm paying attention. Yes, yes and amen. She's like, I didn't ask you anything. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you sure? And she goes, she, 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 she said, hey, will you look at me? I said, yes, baby. I, I put my phone down. And she said, will you, will you just be present? And I go, what do you mean? I'm right here. Right? And she goes, no, no, no. I need you to be present and available. Will you just be faithful? Will you just be here? Will you be here? Like for really? Like for really, yo? Like for really, really? Like really, really? Yeah, really? Yeah, here. Be because how many of y'all know you can be physically there, but not mentally there? Come on, guys. And when you get home, and you get home, and you're physically there, but you're not emotionally there, you're physically there, but you're not mentally there, you're physically there, but you're not spiritually there. And so when you come home and your wife says, can you please be here? What is she really saying? I need you to be present and available. I need you to be faithful. And I think sometimes we can misunderstand your purpose. Sometimes our families aren't looking for us to be like Captain America. Or be the perfect dad. They just want us to be the present dad. Your kids don't need you to make a million dollars. They need you to be there. Your kids don't need you to make sure that they can get into every school that, and every, give them everything their hearts desire. Just let me, guys, some of the best things you can do for your kids is tell them no and still be there. And so being present and available, being faithful, I know you can do it. And I know sometimes it's hard because sometimes you're going to have to sit in a car with five kids 
while they're singing Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. But God's called us to be faithful and available. Somebody say amen. Second thing is this, creative. Spiritual fathers are creative. So they're faithful, which means they're present and available. But some spiritual, great spiritual dads that I know, they're creative. They have this get her done, figure it out attitude. Like we're just going to get it done. Like there's just something's going, if it needs to get done, baby, come find me. It's going to happen. And some of us can use our limitations to kind of keep us from getting it done. And so we use the excuse factor. We try to find out all the reasons why we can't do it. And all the reasons that we can't, we can kind of get lazy a little bit. You know know what I'm saying? Like we can get lazy and we think, well, you know, I don't have enough this and I don't have enough that. And I love this. Like, you know, uh, even some guys would be like, well, I'm not like artsy. I don't need to be creative. Like I'm not artsy. I'm not saying you should be artsy. I'm saying you should be creative. Creative is not for the artsy. It's for the successful. Great leaders are creative like crazy. They don't, there was a buzzword going around, like a buzz statement for a while, many, many years, and especially when I was growing up in college, and they were like, this statement, it was like, and it's kind of around now still, but it's the idea of like, think outside the what? The box. Yeah, see, you guys know it's famous. It's a famous statement. And the idea of that was like, be creative. You need to think outside the box. You need to figure it out. Sorry, that doesn't work in reality. Have you ever noticed that? The most creative people I know think inside the box. They recognize their limitations and they get creative inside of it. So they don't try to break the method or break the rules or try to, no, just figure out what your rule, because here's what I know. Some limitations can't be moved, can't be adjusted. And they're like, well, you know, the most creative people, they think outside the box. That's wrong. Any musicians in here? Raise your hand if you're a musician in here. Come on. So just like you're proud and you're not ashamed of it. All right. Awesome. Okay. So you got a few. All right. So. If you're, I, I love talking to musicians, worship people especially. You know, like I love our worship team, but like, you know, worship people, I love, because I used to lead worship. I was a worship pastor for two years. And worship leaders love to speak like, don't put me in a box, man. Like, don't limit God or don't limit the music. I'm, not, I'm sorry, hold on, hold on. The most successful musicians I know know how to work within their box. Because like, I've done studies about music. Look at the most hit songs on the radio aren't 17 minutes long. They're three minutes and 43 seconds. The average hit song. That's a box. That's a limitation. Any artists out there like painters, sculptors, stuff like that, painters, anybody out there like y'all know? Okay, good. They're like, well, you know, like I can't get into it because the greatest artists and the most creative people, they don't have boxes. They don't have limitations. I'm sorry. You didn't pay attention because the things that are hanging on the wall are quite literally canvases that are what? Boxes. So they don't have unlimited, like, limits where they can just kind of paint and do whatever, and it just goes on for days. Sorry, they work within their box. The most creative people I know are problem solvers. They figure out their limitations, and then they work with inside of them. And they make masterpieces. Come on. They make masterpieces. This is a great scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Again, Paul writes this. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. You need to know this. You were created. Masterpiece is a creative language. That God is a creative being. He created you, and you are pretty amazing. You are pretty amazing. You are a masterpiece, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ. Created. There it is again. He's a creative God. We can do good things planned for us long ago. That God is a creative God. You are a creative being, and therefore you have every right and every ability to go be creative with inside of your box. So what are your boxes? Maybe your box is money. And you're like, Pastor, I can't be a good dad. I don't have any money. There's no, we can't go do stuff. Sorry, I know some incredibly great spiritual fathers that are creative, and they don't have a whole lot of money, but they do a whole lot of stuff with their kids and their family. 
Maybe your, your limitation, maybe your box is, is time. Well, you don't know, Pastor, I will go, I got to go to work, and then I got to school, and then I got to be, I'm sorry. You don't ever, just, just a, a leadership lesson for all of you who want to be a great leader. You never find time. You make it. You never find time. You're like, well, I can't find, I'm never going to, I just can't find the time to do it. You're never going to find it. I've never found it to this day. I think the time is so elusive. It just seems to disappear. It's the only non-renewable resource. And so the, the, the problem is, is if you don't make it inside of your box, come on, you'll never get it. It could be energy, could be your limits, could be creativity, try to figure out time. You got to go, no, no, you, there, God has created you anew. You can do it. You can be creative. Number three is this. So great families are, great fathers and spiritual fathers are faithful, they're creative, they're humble. They're servant-minded, or I like to say this, others above myself people. They're others above myself people. I love this Philippians chapter 2. Again, Paul writing this verse. This is Paul. Remember I told you he did some big things for God. He said, do nothing. Everybody say nothing. That means nothing. Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility. Everybody say humility. Value others above myself. So he says humility, and this is what it is. Just simply valuing others above yourself. Making sure that you are not the center of your universe. And it's not that great leaders aren't able to lead and do things the way that God has called them to do it, but great leaders know how to value others above themselves. I want to read you a story I read in a book one time. I thought this was an incredible uh, example of humility. And it says this. It says, during the American Revolution, a man in civilian clothes rode past a group of soldiers repairing a small defensive barrier. Their leader was shouting instructions at them, making no attempt to help them. Asked why by the rider. In plain clothes, the leader said with great dignity, Sir, I'm a corporal. We don't do that. We just tell them what to do. And the stranger apologized. He dismounted, proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. When the job was done, he turned to the corporal, looked up and said, If you need some more help, son, call me. And with that, the commander-in-chief, George Washington, remounted his horse and rode on. So the leader... got off his horse, come on, and he valued others above himself. Dads, that's what we're called to do. And you can do it. And just so you know, that comes naturally to no one. I know like I've met guys, I'm like, man, that guy's just so humble. He's just got a spirit. He must have just been born like that. False no one's born like that. They had to work at that. They had to make that a priority. They had to grow in that. They had to say, you know what? I don't need to go to the restaurant I want to go to every time because I can do it and I can make the decision. Come on. I, I need to maybe sit down and, 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 and watch cartoons with my kids because I'm present and available with my kids. Come on. Like, I know I could watch what I want to watch, and I have the right to do it, but I'm going to dismount off of my high horse. Come on. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to value others above myself. I mean, I get it. The fifth time I've seen, you know, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, it's the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. It's fun inside. M-I-C-K-E. I'm telling you, like... Nothing in me ever says, yeah, let's go watch that. But my kids love it. 
Your kids love it. Your wife loves it. Where could we, where could you dismount in your life? Come on, where can you get off your horse and come down with the common folk? Because the only difference between the common folk and you is you're a high horse. Come on, that'll preach. And so dads, we're called to be humble. And I just noticed this. I want to be around the humble people. No one likes to be around prideful people. You ever notice that? You ever walk around the people who are like announcing themselves and love to be up on the horse? No one ever celebrates the person on the horse. Everybody tries to pull them down. Guess what? You can't be pulled down if you ain't up there. Great families are led by humble fathers. And the last one is this. So they're faithful, they're creative, they're humble. They have thick skin. Like, they are just not easily offended. I find it interesting. Um, have you ever met, like, really burly, manly guys? Like me. And, and uh, you know, you just see them and they just ooze manliness. You know, they got the beard. It's like, you know, man beard. And then they, you know, they got, they got the anti-dad bod, you know. And they're just like, and they walk in, their chest kind of out, you know, and they're big dudes, and, and they got muscles everywhere. They got muscles on their muscles. I'm like, I can see your six-pack through your jacket. You know, it's like, you a man, you know. You walk in, and you, and you, you could, and they're so sensitive. Like, you sensitive. You say one thing, you say one thing about their hair, and they freak out. Like you, like you said something about their mama, you know. And they're so sensitive. And they're so thin-skinned, and they don't know how to disagree well. That's like a lost art in our community now, like especially our society. Like if you don't know how to disagree, like you disagree with me, you a hater. And we ain't having a conversation, and we ain't having a relationship. And I'm like looking at my Bible, I'm like, Jesus, all he hung out with was people he didn't agree with, that didn't agree with him. And they, they had communion together. They had relationships together. And I just know some men, no one in here, of course, other churches I met, that you, you're so, you're, you're so, you're, you just, you tender. You touchy. If your family's afraid to bring up something to you, that's not manliness. That's not leadership. That's ugly. It's not a God. I want you to be, be, be tender. I say it like this. You know, I, I have an opportunity to mentor and pastor many men. And I always speak this over them because I was, this was spoke over my life as a young man. And it served me well. I always say, pray that God would give you thick skin and a soft heart. That God would give you thick skin and a soft heart. Because the devil, the enemy that's after you and after your potential wants you to have thin skin and a hard heart. And if you do that, I believe God can elevate you because he elevates the humble. And he can help you get through yourself if you just don't be so sensitive. Don't be offended by every little thing. Have some thick skin on behalf of your family. Amen.